It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. What's up, babysitters? This is your boy, Uncle Jimmy, here with your weekend update from the show Fearless featuring Jason Whitlock. Let's get to it, y'all. Let me tell you what's going on. (coughs) Excuse me. Pardon me. I'm getting a little choked up right now. I don't normally say this, but if any of y'all want to go to the bathroom or get a drink of water, now would be the time because when we talk about Monday's show, the only thing we're going to talk about is Lamar Jackson and his alleged big win over the Kansas City Chiefs. Personally, if you ask me, I call it lucky as hell, but we'll call it a big win nonetheless. Lamar Jackson is unvaxxed, unashamed, and last night he was unbelievably good. He was better than Patrick Mahomes. And now the Ravens might have to give Jackson more money than Kansas City gave its quarterback. Jackson secured the signature victory of his career last night. He overcame an 11-point deficit, a depleted roster, two first-quarter interceptions, and his arch-nemesis, Mahomes, and the Kansas City Chiefs. Baltimore's 36-35 victory on Sunday night football is the most impressive result of Jackson's four-year career. It's more impressive than his 2019 MVP season. More impressive than his January playoff victory over the Tennessee Titans. The knock on Jackson is he can't play from behind. You can't put him in a hole and and have him dig out of it himself. Mahomes can, Tom Brady can, Aaron Rodgers can. In the NFL, Jackson had never overcome a double-digit deficit. He's allegedly not a good enough passer. Well, last night, with Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth calling the action, Jackson debunked the myths about his shortcomings. He rallied from a poor start, leading two fourth-quarter touchdown drives, and finishing with 239 passing yards, 107 on the ground. He snapped a three-game losing streak against the Chiefs and Mahomes. Lamar Jackson is here in full force. That was an amazing show he put on last night. Hats off to him. You guys know I'm a Chiefs fan. You guys know I think Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL. But Patrick Mahomes got outplayed last night by Lamar Jackson. Anybody that watched that game realizes that. Lamar looked terrible early, uh, but came on strong. Patrick Mahomes threw one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen. Uh, you know, trying to do too much. Patrick Mahomes gets away with a lot of silly plays. Last night, it kind of caught up with him. Uh, but I have to admit, I was one of the original Lamar Jackson skeptics. When he came out of Louisville, I agreed with the scouts who thought he should consider playing wide receiver. I didn't like the fact his mother worked as his agent. Here's what I underestimated about Lamar. The importance of football in his life. I also underestimated the force and strength of his personality. Lamar, like this show, is fearless. His fearless attitude is infectious. It makes him a natural leader. Men like to follow Lamar. The courage of his conviction inspires men to do more. 
And that's what the Ravens did last night. Last night, the Ravens beat Kansas City, arguably the best team in football, without their best offensive lineman, their two best running backs, and their rookie wide receiver. Missing critical pieces of their offense, the Ravens outscored Mahomes and Andy Reid, the Joe Montana and Bill Walsh of the modern era. The Ravens opened the night playing a tribute to deceased actor Michael K. Williams and his iconic character Omar Little from The Wire. They played Omar whistling the farmer in the dale. The stadium went nuts. Take a listen to yourself. I'm told our, our editor Justin put something together here. Take a listen. Take a listen and a look. my favorite TV show. That's the greatest character on that TV show. Omar Little was the baddest man in Baltimore. Omar shared that title with linebacker Ray Lewis. Lamar Jackson now wears the crown. Lamar coming. He's coming for a half billion dollar contract. Right now, Mahomes' 10-year, $450 million deal is the most lucrative in NFL history. Jackson is still on his rookie contract. Baltimore is likely trying to reach a new agreement with Jackson sometime between right now and the start of next season. He's gonna get more money than even Patrick Mahomes. Baltimore has no choice. Its entire team is built in Lamar's image. The coaching staff and the personnel are all constructed to fit the most unique quarterback in the league. Baltimore is all in on Lamar. The Ravens will have to go all in on a contract. Is Lamar's fearless style of play sustainable? That's irrelevant right now. His fearless style is what makes Baltimore successful. That fearlessness includes his vaccination status. The new knock on Lamar is that he's unvaxxed. The vaccination army believes Lamar is being irresponsible by not getting the vax and refusing to talk about his vax status. I love Lamar's defiance. He's 24 years old. He's had COVID. The virus can't harm Jackson. He's doing what makes sense for Lamar Jackson and most of the young men in the NFL. Would be an absolute disaster for the NFL the Ravens, and the Players Union if the Ravens had to forfeit games because Lamar Jackson stood against the league's stupid COVID protocols. Would the blue check Twitter army vilify Lamar Jackson? Would they call him a coon and an Uncle Tom because he chose his body and his choice? Would MSNBC host Joy Reid, aka Rachel Maddow, would she attack Jackson the way she's attacked Nicki, Maja Nicki Minaj? Lamar Jackson is my new favorite player. I want him to lead the Ravens to the Super Bowl while refusing to participate in the vaccination game the government and the NFL are foisting on the American people. Lamar coming, y'all. And I can't wait. On Tuesday's show, Megan Rapinoe or Megan, you know, uh, the little fella with the pink hair. All right. 
All right. Anyway, Megan Rapinoe and 500 other female athletes, they signed a petition against the Mississippi abortion bill. You need to hear this and hear what Jason has to say about this. Y'all didn't hear in the beginning who I said was the head of this bill. Megan Rapinoe. I rest my case. Alphabet Mafia and sports power couple, Megan Rapinoe and Sue Bird, have loaned their names, reputations, and expertise to the abortion rights debate. The soccer and basketball superstars joined 500 other female jocks in signing a friend of the court brief presented to U.S. Supreme Court justices deliberating a Mississippi law that would ban the killing of fetuses that have lived more than 15 weeks inside a woman's womb. According to Reuters news agency, the athletes argued in their brief that ending the growth of babies inside the womb has helped the growth of women's sports. Quoting directly from the brief, Reuters reported, the physical tolls of forced pregnancy and childbirth would undermine athletes' ability to actualize their full human potential. The brief failed to mention the physical toll of abortion undermines a baby's ability to actualize his or her full human potential. Pregnancy, according to 500 female athletes, is now an issue about the growth of sports, not the growth of babies. Rapino, a star on the U.S. women's national soccer team, said in a statement, quote, as women athletes and people in sports, we must have the power to make important decisions about our bodies and exert control over our reproductive lives, end quote. Rapino is engaged to Bird, a guard in the WNBA. Rapino and Bird, two birthing people, cannot create a child through scissoring, strap-ons, digital penetration, and other forms of same-sex intimacy. Short of rape, they have complete control of their reproductive lives. Their need for an abortion is quite remote unless they change their mind after intentionally inseminating themselves with male sperm. Their passion for the abortion issue strikes me as odd. It's the equivalent of me issuing a statement on skinny jeans rights. The issue is of no importance to me, given my fast food lifestyle. But here we are in modern America. Professional athletes and other pampered celebrities are the smartest, most informed people on the planet. Their ability to kick, dribble, and throw a ball gives them remarkable insight into abortion rights, criminal justice reform, police-involved shootings, insurrections, and viral videos capturing alleged instances of oppression and systemic racism. LeBron James, he struggles to write, tweets, and Instagram posts at a grade school grammar level but he is one of America's foremost public intellectuals and authoritative voices on the racial discrimination. LeBron, the new Muhammad Ali, once analogized his reaction to learning the N-word was scrawled on the back gate of his $20 million mansion in a predominantly white neighborhood. He compared that to Emmett Till's mother opening the casket of her murdered 14-year-old son. 
Money and fame are the sworn enemies of self-awareness. Today's athletes have zero self-awareness and even less humility. They don't know what they don't know. There's no reason for them to seek answers. Their handlers, their corporate sponsors, and rigged social media apps provide them all the answers they need. Let me know the next time Rapino, James, or Colin Kaepernick take a public position that isn't supported by Twitter groupthink. They're not rebels. They're voices for the establishment, big tech, global corporations, corporate media, and the Democratic Party, and pretending to be anti-establishment radicals. The establishment is pushing for radical change, a great reset. Rapino, James, and Kaepernick are useful idiots of the establishment. Do you know how stupid you have to be to reduce the issue of abortion to the growth of women's sports? I mean, I just want, I want to ask that question again. Do you know how stupid you have to be to reduce the issue of abortion to the growth of women's sports? You gotta be pretty damn stupid. Ignorance is the devil's best friend. Dishonesty is his spouse. I keep saying that a lot of what the left supports is satanic. Rapino's stated support of abortion rights is exhibit A, B, C, and D. What else would cause a person to prioritize the growth of sports ahead of the growth of a child? Technology has given human beings more control over reproductive issues than at any time in the history of mankind. Condoms, contraceptives, and abortions before week 15 give us a lot of control over our reproductive lives. It's mind boggling to hear an accomplished athlete argue that abortions after 15 weeks are an infringement on reproductive control. You can't reach Rapino's level of athletic success without being very disciplined and without making sacrifices. Abstinence, requiring men to wear a condom, birth control pills, and female condoms are all highly effective ways of preventing unwanted pregnancies. They're not foolproof solutions, although abstinence is, but they're better than standing before the world and writing a letter that says protecting the growth of sports is far more important than protecting the growth of life. These people have more respect for animal rights than the life of a child inside of a womb. They'd rather see you abort a baby than kill a spider, mm. kill a mouse, kick a dog. Bet not. Bet not. I'm not gonna bring dog fighting into this, but I could mm -hmm. in terms of the level of outrage and the hypocrisy. And again, abortion, <laughs> that's a right we have. And, and I've been honest on this show, Jim. I, I told you the whole, I've been in the abortion scenario. Not after the fact, but I, I've been, you know, but for the grace of God, I could have 
had a child out of wedlock with someone that I shouldn't be having a child with. I've been clear about that. But this whole argument is insanity that borders on wickedness. It's an argument a dumb jock would make at the behest of her handlers. Where? Megan Rapino is a dumb jock. Hmm. She thinks we're all dumb too. And worse, she thinks applying discipline, restraint, and sacrifice are behaviors we should use in pursuit of athletic greatness and avoid those behaviors in our reproductive lives. For Rapino, sports are a higher priority than life. On Wednesday, possibly the best show we've ever had since we've been here at Fearless, we had the Hall of Fame legend, Tony Dungy, as a guest. He and Jason Whitlock talked about everything. Here's Tony talking about his experience and faith with the great defensive end, Reggie White, and coaching Peyton Manning. Take a listen to it. Did I mess that up or was that okay? You sure? Did they? Was that okay? Uh, I'm just saying, did okay because I said defensively. Was that okay? If it's okay, it's okay. It sounds like football saved you spiritually, and so the, the question of did football help or hurt or have no impact on your spirituals, it 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 had amazing impact, and so th that will lead me to a follow up, perhaps of. Have we moved to a different space spiritually within sports and within football where God is being squeezed out? No, I don't think we are, Jason. I think we are uh, at the point where we don't hear about it as much because we don't want to hear about it. And I think in football especially, we're missing that real vocal person. Uh, we had There were a lot of guys on the Steelers that were strong Christians. I didn't know about them from watching TV or getting the media. We didn't have social media at that time. Uh, in the 90s, Reggie White turned all that around. And we had the same kind of guys in the 70s and 80s, but Reggie White said, you know what? I'm not going to hold back. And I'm, I'm popular enough, I'm good enough that I can say what I want to say. And Reggie made it okay to, to share your faith and to stand up for the Lord. And they'd ask him things. I remember I was coaching in the early 90s, and we got a memo that don't let your players hang around on the field after the game. They're praying in, in the, those circles and better get everybody straight to the locker room because we're going to find them if they do. And I remember thinking, man, that, that's – that's a little crazy on the NFL's part, but I wonder how this is going to go over. Well, Reggie White went right to the middle of the field and right to the prayer circle, and I, I thought to myself, let me see them find Reggie. And, and it didn't happen, uh, and that's what we need. And, and I think we've got a lot of really neat Christian guys. I interview them uh, quite a bit on, on NBC, but we don't have that one bold superstar guy to make it okay to make everybody else feel like, you know what, I, I can be bold myself. And I, I think that's what we're missing. I think God's still there. We just don't hear about it as much. Tony, you, you, and <clears throat> I, I want to be careful. I'm not going to add, you, you work for NBC. They got Sunday Night Football. That's the strongest brand in, in football. But I, I felt it, and part of the reason why I exited corporate television or whatever, even at Fox Sports, is because 
Ooh, you say Jesus. And, and people are like, <laughs> Jesus, what are you? That's, we done turned it into a curse word. And I agree with you. Like, you know, Jesus hasn't gone anywhere in these football locker rooms. I talk to Ray Lewis all the time. I mean, who's on fire. Yeah, who's on fire. And, and I, look, I look from afar and go, Lamar Jackson, this man is spirit field. It's yeah. clear as day. We ran Tebow out of the league. Uh, the media did and a segment of the fan base. And so I think you're right. It's, it's still there. But the media has somewhat decided we don't want we're not going to ask questions about it. And to me, I sit there and go, well, these guys can't do this without Jesus. They can't do yeah. it without their faith. That's the connective tissue a lot of times in the locker room. It, it really is. Uh, I, I remember the uh, Super Bowl. We had the Super Bowl, I guess it was four years ago now, uh, New England and Philadelphia. And Rodney Harrison was covering New England AFC. I'm covering Philadelphia all week as we're getting ready. And I remember coming back saying, man, these Philadelphia Eagles, man, they are on fire. Carson Wentz was hurt. But Nick Foles was was the leader and Trey Burton and they had all these guys. And I, I went on the show and I said, I think that uh, Nick Foles is going to play great tonight because he feels like God's got him there for a purpose. And he told me he really feels like the Holy Spirit is working. Well, people jumped all over me. How can you say that on TV? Keep your religion out of it. It's not supposed to be you just. And I said, I'm reporting the sports. That's what Nick Foles told me. Okay, if he'd have told me his coach had this great game plan, I would have said that. But he told me he felt like he was going to play well because the Holy Spirit was with him. So uh, I reported that a lot of the stuff that I, I said in my interviews got cut out because okay, we only have so much time and, and the producers are going to put on what they think is important and, and not everybody thinks that spiritual side is important. But when we went live after the game with Nick Foles and some of those guys, they, they blasted, they put Christ on blast and it was great to see. Mm. I, I, I'm telling you it, the reason I made this move is just cause like, I wanted to be able to share my full opinions and just circling back to where we began when I started talking about Galatians five and the fruit, the, the benefit that I try to describe to people like, one of the reasons to wear your faith publicly is because like for me, and I'm just speaking to other guys and Tony, it may not be your struggle, but it forces me to do the right thing. And, and Tony, I'm just, just being transparent because I like to be with my audience. It's like yeah. uh, when you define yourself as a Christian and you wear it publicly, you can't go into strip clubs because you would look like an idiot. And everybody, be, look at this hypocrite. And so by me sharing and wearing, I'm just, I just make better decisions. By me sharing, I think about my gluttony every day. And yeah. like, hey, this is an affront to God. And I have to correct this. And yeah. so that's why I'm doing this show and doing it the way we're doing it is because I want to let young people know yeah. and other athletes like don't be ashamed of this wear it it will actually empower you amen amen i couldn't say it better that's what those guys at the steelers taught me and that was a lesson i learned 
30 years ago, 40 years ago now, and it was perfect. Uh, there's a good friend of mine, a guy named Sherman Smith. He's in a movie. Jason, if you are able to see it, you got to see it. It's called Show Me the Father. It's an amazing story about Sherman and his life. But he played – he was a quarterback at Miami of Ohio, again, in my era. And they shifted him to running back at Seattle with the Seahawks. Very strong faith. He grew up in the faith. He kind of mentored a lot of us guys. And his saying was – he'd tell us, hey, man, you, you say you're a Christian. Don't tell anybody that anymore because you're making the rest of us look bad. And then you'd have to check yourself and say, wait, wait a minute, Sherman, what do you mean – he said, no, if you're going to do what you're doing and you're going to live like that, just don't tell anybody you're a Christian. And uh, at first you would get offended, but then you'd say, you know what? You're right. I'm representing the Lord. I need to be better than that. And so that's always been my thing from then on. Uh, I, I let people know early on I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian player. When I became an assistant coach, I'm a Christian assistant coach. Now I'm a Christian head coach. Now I'm a Christian broadcaster. So you're going to get Christ when you get me. And if, if I am not representing Christ, then tell me, because I do not want to make God look bad. Tony, I think that philosophy is why it's, and is why and how you and other coaches connect with players despite different backgrounds, different races, different upbringings. It, 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 again, that's the unifying message. But how, how do, I think, even the non-believers respond to that message and are attracted to it, even though they're non-believers? <laughs> they, they responded well because you're honest with them, Jason. I, I, when I got my first head job at Tampa, we'd had 13 straight losing seasons. I get the job. I got in front of them just like Coach Noel got in front of us. I said, hey, don't make football your whole life, but you got to take this thing as important. We're here to win. We're going to turn this around. But understand this. I'm a Christian, okay, so I'm going to coach you a certain way. I'm not going to demean you. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not going to make you feel small. I'm going to encourage you, and we got to be in this thing together. Well, Everybody bought into that. It took some guys longer than others. But uh, I remember <laughs> we were at practice. It started raining. Then the lightning got close. My assistant, who's monitoring that, said, oh, still about eight miles away. We're okay. We get another crash. And Brad Culpepper, a defensive lineman for us, he stopped practice. He said, hey, coach, you know where you're going. But for those of us who don't, can we go inside? <laughs> <laughs> and that was just his way of telling me, hey, I, I'm with you. I, I accept this. But you, you have to coach everybody. And you can't just coach the Christian guys. You can't just coach the nice guys. you got to connect with everyone. And I felt like I did that, but I did it by being honest. Uh, those of us that are football fans are getting a closer look uh, and a closer relationship with Peyton Manning. He's doing these Monday Night Football <laughs> broadcasts. And the guys, I, he seems so intense, but also so very likable during these broadcasts. And uh, is that who Peyton Manning is? Very intense, but like really charismatic and likable. That's how he comes across on these Monday night broadcasts. Yeah, what you're saying is really who he is. Uh, he and his brother both, they were raised the right way. They're respectful. They're, they're great people. Uh, they, they are 
into their business. They want to be the best they can be, uh, but they understand life is, is fun. And uh, they have fun, especially Peyton. He, he's, he was the biggest prankster on the team. And a lot of people don't really understand that. But, uh, yeah, he was sensational. What you're seeing uh, on Monday nights is really, really who he is. Uh, was, he the, was he easy to coach? I think most people would think, well, like Peyton Manning kind of coaches himself. Uh, you know, this has got to be the easiest job in the world, coaching Peyton Manning. Was he that easy to coach? And did you ever have to discipline him? Or did he ever have to discipline you? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> he was easy to coach in some ways, Jason, because he wanted to win. He wanted to be the best. He took in information, soaked it in like a sponge. You, you couldn't give him too much information. He was tough to coach in some ways because he was always going to be ahead of the curve. He would come in on Tuesdays with a yellow legal pad, seven or eight pages of things that he saw watching tape over the weekend of the next opponent. We need to do this. We need to do that. Can we do this and that? Um, I didn't ever have to discipline him, but we had some conversations early on about being the best you can be and what it was going to take for us to win. And I always talked about protecting the football. And he, he even mentioned it a little bit on Monday night. Uh, I got to hear a little bit. He was saying, hey, people try to challenge us with this cover two defense. And, and Coach Dungey used to say, they're insulting you. They don't think you can be patient. And uh, when I got there, I said, hey, we're going to win a Super Bowl when, when you – realize that protecting the ball is the most important thing we can do. You want to be explosive. We're going to continue to be explosive. But if we take care of the ball better, that's when we're going to be a championship team. The first year I was there, he had 27 touchdowns, I think, and 19 interceptions. And the more we talked about it, the more I was able to show him uh, where he could still be as explosive, but we could be smarter with the ball that's when we got good. And then two years later, he had 49 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. And from then on, we were, we were competitors for the Super Bowl every year. I, I will tell you the, the one debate we used to have, though, Jason. Uh, I learned this in Pittsburgh. Chuck Noll had what we call Family Saturday. And Saturday was the day you brought your kids. Uh, they got to run around the locker room, be on the field. Coach Noll wanted the kids to know where their dads operated. So I did that at Tampa. All the guys that worked for me, Mike Tomlin, Lovey Smith, everybody did that. So I get to Indy now in 2002. Well, Saturdays for Peyton were always, he'd have this legal pad again of every play that didn't go right on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. and He'd want to run them one last time on Saturday. So his version or his idea of what Saturday practice was was a little different than mine. Being the coach, he kind of gave in to me. But – like every six weeks or so, he'd come into my office and say, I, I know what you're doing with the family Saturday. I know you, you want the kids out here. Maybe they could just stay in the locker room. Then we can get our regular practice in, and then the guys could go back and see him. No, 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 no. <laughs> family Saturdays won a lot of Super Bowl. This is the way we're going to do it. Yeah, but I wanted to run this play with Marvin, and he's got Marvin Jr., and he's not really running hard, and we can't get the timing down. Just relax. But we'd have this conversation once a month. So finally, we start oh. winning, and he kind of lets it go. Well, now, fast forward, I'm working for NBC years later. He's out in Denver. I go out to Denver to interview him for the show. And one of the guys who also played with us in Tampa, Brandon, or in Indy, Brandon Stokely, comes running up to me. You will never guess in your life what Peyton did. 
I said, what did he do? He went to Coach Fox. He said, we got to put in family Saturday. The kids need to know where their dads hang out. Well, now he has twins by that time. So now it's a different story. But uh, I said, I did teach him one thing. I may not have taught him much about football, but uh, we did get that point across. Well, on Thursday, Jason decided he wanted to let me get my learner's permit. And he allowed me to ask him 10 unedited questions. So I think you're going to enjoy this. He's going to talk about everything from leaving Fox Sports and the time in which he realized that he had that red pill moment. You have to hear this. I mean, honestly. You got any regrets about leaving Fox? No. Damn, it got quiet. Oh, I wasn't prepared for that question. Uh, and so it took me a second to oh, you had No. Oh, you went there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> just, no, I don't. Plus, I think you've asked me this before. But why would I have any regrets? Because you just said those are your boys. You miss hanging out with your boys. Man, them's my boys right there. Yeah, now I do miss that. But that's not about a regret about leaving. Man, I, just like I told Tony Dungy yesterday, I need freedom to be me. And what happened in the media space was, I've always been able to be me. Even when I was at the Kansas City Star, when I was at ESPN or Fox Sports, AOL Sports, if I wrote for Playboy magazine, it was okay to be me. We have social media and the social justice warriors have created this atmosphere where you can't be me at a corporate media location. You just, it create, and it's not because the people working in that organization are bad, they're not. They're great people, but they're trapped in an environment where there's so much hostility for someone with my politically incorrect point of view that it's hard, I make it hard for the executives and, and there's just, just like I said to uh, Tony Dungy, is like, hey man, I, I wanna talk about my faith and it's hard to do at a corporate media site. If you listen to what Tony Dungy was saying, cause he didn't take any shots at NBC, but he basically said NBC wasn't really comfortable with me talking about faith and talking about it with athletes and they edited his stuff out. And he talked about how the NFL at one point tried to stop the athletes from gathering together at midfield and kneeling in prayer. And then Reggie White put a stop to that and you know, like there, are you gonna kick me out of the league? You gonna punish me? And so that, should, and that was, he was talking about that, he had felt like that happened in the 90s where do you think we are in 2020? If in the 90s they were trying to stop football players from huddling up in prayer at the end of games, that tells you about the kind of pressure television networks are under, leagues are under. Get this Jesus and God stuff out of our face. It's bad TV. We don't want it. And so I needed to be somewhere where my faith is actually an asset and it fits the culture here. And just like all the things that I do here fit the culture in terms of, I wanna make decisions about 
whether I inject myself with a vaccine or not. I don't want my employer to make that decision for me. That's the next two questions. I like freedom. <laughs> I like freedom. So you can't have freedom, not full freedom, not the kind of freedom I used to have in the 1990s and 2000 at other media outlets. They've taken those freedoms away. And so I've moved where I can be free. I don't know if you realize what you just said. And the other day when we had Tony on there, I didn't realize until you just said it. But Tony said that it was basically, um, what's, what's the guy's name? Reggie White. It was Reggie White that challenged, basically challenged the NFL and said, yeah. we're going to the center field. And you realize what it was he went to center field and did, Jason? Pray. You know how he prayed? He took a knee. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Now that was an NFL player who took a knee for a stance. And we didn't hear about it on the media like we hear about this other guy that took a knee and made a career. As far as I know, and I, I, I need to do the research, that's the first time I heard that's my that first story. first time ever hearing that story. I, rem- I remember I wondered when he said it, I said, huh, I wonder what happened. They don't show it anymore. It still happens, I think. And it's been a while since as a media person that I've gone to the game and would watch and see what would happen after the games. But I still think it happens because I think I see it on TV. So it's smaller circles of guys. It's not as prevalent as it used to be. It was like when, when Tony said that yesterday and we talked after the air, it's like the jersey exchange has replaced mm-hmm. kneeling in prayer as a post-game scene. That's a TV decision. Okay. Let me ask you, okay, before we started this, um, we, we put out a couple of, we, we put out a poll to the fans and asked, does anybody have a que- any questions for you? And you had a fan by the name of Dalton Ballard, and I think this is just rolls right into what we're talking about. Dalton said, did you have a red pill moment or were you always conservative? And I got a follow up on that. Uh, and I'm not pausing in thought, I'm pausing in how I want to unpack this. But what I've been consistently telling people, and if you like really follow what I'm saying, my grandmother, Lovey Kennedy, my mother, Joyce Kennedy Whitlock, took me and my brother as a child to 25th Street Baptist Church and planted these religious seeds in me. My father, <laughs> Signed me up for sports and football and planted some sports seeds in me. Football and the church have defined my values and my life worldview since I was six, seven years old. I've never changed. There has been no red pill moment. The only thing that's happened is the left and the media have moved to a point to where I look really, really conservative. And uh, that's because the left has moved things so far that anybody with any common sense, anybody is like, you know what, you should work hard and pull yourself up. Oh my God, that's a, right-wing conservative, that, that's a bad person. That's what my father believed. 
That's what they taught me at the church I grew up in, which was all black. And so, no, I, I didn't have a red pill moment. Having said all that, the experience I had at ESPN from 2013 to 2015, my second extent there allowed me to see like, whoa, not only have things moved, but there's a wickedness mm. and a lack of ethics driving this move further left. It opened my eyes to that. And so my, my focus is sharper because I understand the problem at a much deeper level. That it's not just, oh, things have kind of just moved to the left, blah, blah. Things have moved to the left because there's people that have a Satanist worldview moving it further to the left, moving it away from God. And I believe that authentically. And I, I didn't fully understand it and grasp it until I went through that experience at ESPN. Hey, that's it, guys. That was our show. That's how it's going to be. I need you to check it out. Take a listen. See what you think. I promise you, you're going to find it. It's going to be entertaining. It's going it's to be thought-provoking. Okay? And let me tell y'all something else. Honestly, man, if you listen to this show and you listen to it religious, religiously, you will be able to go out and debate with your friends. You can go out and have debates with your friends about sports. You can have debates with your friends about religion. You can have debates with your friends about abortion. You can have debates with your friends about the proper way to scissor your mate. I mean, come on, man. Where else are you going to get that other than this show? Tune in. Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Hit him on the Twitter. Uh, Twitter. At Whitlock Jason. You can hit him on YouTube at Jason Whitlock. And it's one more. You can hit him on Instagram at the real Jason Whitlock. All right. Hey, man, I'm going to tell y'all this. I'm recording this from sitting behind Jason's desk. Don't tell him. All right. I'll see y'all Monday, y'all. Love you like a play cousin. Holla.